The Sports Career Podcast, episode 230, how to win with data to support business objectives in the sports industry. Hello Sports Achiever and thank you for taking the time to listen to this week's podcast episode. I'm your host Ed Bowers. As always, my goal each week is to provide you an expert in a particular sector in the sports industry, especially if you have an interest in data analytics. I really do hope that this podcast can support you with regards to your sports career development, interests and needs. Now, getting back to today's show, this week I'm bringing back a special guest, Fiona Green. She was a special guest back in 2018, episode 79. We talked about data in the sports industry. Fiona is the co-founder of Winners and also the director, but also she's the author of Winning with Data, which we talk in a lot more detail in this podcast about how data is really influencing sports business. So for that reason, it's such a pleasure to have Fiona back on the show. And that's when today's episode, Fiona will share her sports career journey and explain to you how businesses can win with data with regards to their business objectives. Fiona, it's such a privilege to have you back on the podcast show. Now, you were episode, I can't believe it, 79, season two. So would you mind just sharing to listeners, there will be a link in the show notes to listen to that podcast. I highly recommend it. But could you just give the listeners a little snapshot of your sports career journey? Yeah, thanks, Ed. And firstly, thank you for having me on a second time. It really is a pleasure. Yeah, so I'm 54 now, but I actually started in the sports industry when I was 19 or 20. I managed to get a job as an advertising sales executive at a football club. It was the oldest football league club in the world, but unfortunately it's no longer in the league, but that's another matter. Um, And I have successfully somehow through luck or sheer determination managed to go from that to working internationally with the likes of FIFA, UEFA and the IOC. Um, I'm in the UK now and set up an agency where we specialize in the use of data But prior to that, my career has covered sponsorship, media rights, ticketing strategies, media strategies as well. So I've been very, very fortunate. Out of interest, there's one topic I don't want to talk about is sales, because from our last conversation, that's how you started was in sales. So would you mind just sharing the benefits looking back of working sales and how it supported you now? Well, I can be really flippant and tell you the benefit of being a salesperson is you make a heck of a lot of money, especially if you get a commission gig. But um, I think the benefit of honing your skill in sales and, and some, a lot of being a salesperson is inherent. It's natural. But one of the things we learn in sales is that you have to listen. And it's not people think being a good salesperson is about being a good talker. It's not. It's about being a good, um, a good listener. And secondly, when you're selling, you're actually solution providing. Now, it sounds a bit cliche, but when you're selling something, you're trying to find a solution to a particular problem or a need. And that's where the listening comes in. So I would say that I've always 
perhaps believed I'm a bit of a salesperson by nature. I naturally like to find solutions to problems and roll my sleeves up and get things done. But that ability to listen, not just the ability to talk, is the real learning curve that comes out of focusing on sales. And just to follow up on this, because I've learned this from our last conversation, before our conversation, you asked, like, how's it all going for me of how I'm sort of using this show to create new business? And I couldn't agree more with what you said is like creating solutions. But out of interest is one topic I want to talk about sales, because a lot of people connect with it differently. Like one thing is fear, especially starting some person starting in sales. Would you mind just sharing how you've overcome this fear of sales? And like you said, it's all about listening and solving problems just for any young listener who wants to dab their foot into this sector of the well, not in sports industry, but any sales role. Well, one, one thing to be aware of it is if sales is not for you, then sales is not for you. I mean, there are so many other industry sectors I couldn't go into because they're not for me. But if sales is not for you, if it doesn't feel natural, if it's not something that you feel you can overcome, for example, then, then find something else. But my number one tip when it comes to sales, and don't forget, I started selling back in the day when you were cold calling on the phone. I mean, I used to be handed the yellow pages back in the day or a new newspaper with a list of telephone numbers and told ring these companies. And the one thing I used to tell myself is they cannot reach down the phone and physically punch me. All they could do is say no. And if I can handle the no, I can get through this. And with that awareness, something a, a great boss once said to me, is don't be afraid of the no's because they get you one step closer to the yes. So firstly, an awareness that all they're gonna do is hurt your pride or your ego or whatever it is by saying no, they're not gonna physically hurt you. And secondly, be positive about the no's because you're learning from them and they're getting you one step closer to a yes. Wow, I hope the listeners are taking notes. <laughs> and my final question from with regards to this sector of our conversation, I'm really intrigued from our last conversation back in 2018 to now, what has been your career growth with regards to the work you're currently doing or in general? So um, I guess, obviously I've not taken a change in career, but because I'm fortunate enough to be working in this world of data and data by nature is driven by technology and technology is continuously evolving then my career growth has just been to continue my own learning path of understanding more about what data can do, where do we generate it from, how do we handle it, how do we use it, how do we manage it. In terms of isolated growth curves, I mean, Christ, somebody mentioned to me the other day non-fungible tokens. So, of course, the first thing I did was Google it. And so, you know, my, my growth is continuous, but it's within my field. I now know what, what the term NFT, non-fungible tokens, means, but my growth comes in understanding how that's going to empower the way we use data, the way we secure it, the way we optimise it. And very shortly, we'll be talking about your second edition of your book. But with regards to, I will call you now an influencer in this space due to the book you wrote 2018 to where you are now. But how has your personal brand developed over time from writing that first book? Alvin, just because I'm always telling students your personal brand is important. We all have one. It's how you use it. So looking back from 2018 to where you are now, how has that developed, if that makes sense? So that's a really interesting question, Ed, because I don't consider my personal brand. Of course, I'm aware that I've got name awareness. My, my name is actually Fiona Telfer because I'm married. But Fiona Green is who I was when I had that very first job in sports. So I've retained that name for people who still remember me. So I must be aware of my brand value. 
I'm also a big believer in, a, in the team principle. And don't forget, you know, I lead a business called Winners and Winners is the brand and the team are the people that make the brand. I'm just the person that is figuratively at the head of the brand. But specifically to answer your question, what's changed since 2018 to this version of the book is, I don't know how much you're aware of imposter syndrome. Have you heard of yep, that, Ed? quite a lot. Okay. More, more commonly experienced by women than men, admittedly. And um, yeah, I have, a, uh, I have a bit of imposter syndrome that came to the forefront when I wrote the first book. Imposter syndrome comes in many different forms and at its worst case, it can be debilitating. It's not debilitating for me. It just causes me that a little bit of that anxiety and to stop and think. So the big difference between 2018 and now, which could, could, you, could as you suggest, lead to also my personal brand, is that I have a lot more confidence in this second edition than I had in the first. Not because the first in itself wasn't good, but because my own confidence at that time wasn't where it should have been when it comes to physically putting your words down on paper and putting them out in the world for people to see. Because there's a big difference between me standing here and saying, this is what I know, this is what I know, this is what I know. But when you put it down for posterity in writing and when your publishers charge people for it, you know, that's when the anxiety was sort of kicking in. Is somebody going to pick this up and think it's a load of dross? Well, thankfully, you know, review after review, feedback after feedback, um, I was receiving that was suggesting that's not actually the case. And whilst I had a lot of recommendations about things I could change, the general consensus was that, yeah, it was a decent piece of writing. So when it came to the second edition, I was able to, to take that knowledge from the first edition and build on it. Just carrying on with this subject of sort of imposter syndrome and fear, I can connect what you're saying. I remember till this day, the 18th of May, when I launched my first three podcasts, and I had no idea, I was shaking like a leaf if Pete would listen. But now over time, you just got to put out quality and always add value to the world. That's my viewpoint of every piece of content I do. So may I ask how you manage the imposter syndrome just for yourself, just in the work you do with the books you've been writing and just how do you process it to say hold on I'm, I'm okay if that makes sense and not let it overrun you internally. Funny enough I never have we never have I never have imposter syndrome in the work that we do because I know that I understand this field I know that I can find solutions I know that I can overcome challenges and find opportunities it was about putting it in writing. I'm not an academic, I'm not, I'm not an academic. Unfortunately or fortunately, depending on which way you look at it, I didn't have the direction and support to encourage me to go to university. I didn't even do what was then called A-levels. I left school at 16. And trust me, that is not necessarily the advice I'd give now. I mean, you know, it'll depend on individual circumstances, but certainly that was the path I took. So writing a book, even though it was published under Routledge, who do publish both academic and business management, I was very aware that I don't have any academic um, learnings at all. And I was being published by an academic publisher, but we made it very clear this was a management book, a self-development book, not, not an academic book. But that's where the, um, the imposter syndrome came, who would be reading this and what was their writing ability or academic understanding, et cetera, et cetera. So I don't get the imposter syndrome when I'm talking to you or when I'm doing the work with my clients or when I'm writing blog posts it's just something about writing a book under a hard you know in a hard copy under the auspices of a an established global publisher 
and then putting it on Amazon and charging people to buy it. That's where the imposter syndrome kicked in. The, the feedback helps, the collaboration, the contributions and the feedback, that's what helps. And I'm sure you've benefited from the same. People giving you feedback about your podcast, that's where you, that's how you overcome uh, the imposter syndrome. Absolutely. And I love seeing that smile at the end of what you've just said. Really quickly, just on this note, how proud are you looking back right now of literally relating to what you've just said now? I'm really proud of the second edition. I can't go back and say I'm proud of the first edition because I remember the emotional challenges to get to that point. I'm much prouder of the second edition because it comes with that confidence. Having said that, the case studies, the contributions that I've had from so many people who've helped me with this, they're as brilliant as they are in this second edition as they were in the first edition. So I'm really proud of the support that the industry has given me, their time and their contribution. And of course, now that it's published, their reflections, their, even their retweeting of it, their posting comments, etc. I'm very proud of that. I'm very proud of the way the industry has responded and supported me. I better ask the simple question now of could you just explain to the listeners your book because we haven't actually mentioned the name of the book. Yeah, we yet. haven't actually. Yeah. <laughs> so um just for the listeners listening in, yeah. could you just explain to the listeners your book, the second edition in particular, and I'm gonna give you the mic. Great, fantastic. So thank you very much for the opportunity. It's called Winning with Data in the Business of Sports slash CRM and Analytics. Um so the, the foundational reason for writing the book was, was when I moved into this field about 10 or 11 years ago, I just found it so ridiculously complex. I tried Googling to understand what it was all about, and I was just hit with adverts for software, simple as that. And if I wasn't hit with adverts for software, I was hit with blog posts saying 80% of CRM projects fail. So when I first started thinking about writing the first edition, my absolute intent was to try and find an easy primer. Somebody who reviewed it recently called it a primer, and I love that word. I wanted to provide a primer for people who wanted to understand this industry. So what we do is we provide a foundational overview of all the key elements you need to be aware of. So everything from um, the technology, but to us, technology is the enabler, not the driver. So everything from the technology, the data, marketing, data visualization, even um, the legal processes, whether it's GDPR or other data legislation. And um, of course, something called business change. So changing the way we operate because um, probably a bit different for you, Ed, because of your age, but you know, 20 or 30 years ago, the job of the head of comms in a, in a, in a sports organization was just to write press releases. And they'd write press releases about what's happening around the club or the event. That's not their job now. Their job is to understand what are their fans wanting to, to know about, what information do they want, what content do they want to, to hear about, and then writing content that delivers against that. And that involves quite a cultural change, thinking about putting what your fans want before what you want. And leading on to that, by the way, there's a lot of, I don't know how familiar you are with the term digital transformation, but that term digital transformation is being used an awful lot now. And you know, I've always been trying to think, how do we succinctly say in one sentence, what is digital transformation? And one of the best um, descriptions of that that I use, I can't remember who, who where I first read it, but digital transformation is putting the needs of the customer first. So instead of saying, how much should I charge for these tickets? It's saying, how much will my customers want to pay for these tickets? Instead of, of saying, 
what article should I write today? It's what, what article will my customers want to read today? And that's my favorite definition of digital transformation. So the book takes you through the different things, people, processes and systems we need within an organization to enable digital transformation or to use data or to become CRM enabled. There are lots of different terms and expressions that are being used. One of my favorite ones, which sits alongside digital transformation is um, intelligent customer engagement, how to engage with your customers intelligently. And by nature, that means using data. So with regards to this week's podcast topic, which is how can businesses win with regards to data, with regards to their business objectives in the sports industry? Like you, you said quite a lot there, but just for a business owner listening in, can we talk about just a few metrics or a few ways where they can tweak it, like of how they win? Because I don't know about you, but relating to my experience on my podcast show, I've had to look at my own data of which is the most popular shows, which are the most listened, which are the most engaging through every, literally the last four years, I measure how of each reach of video clips, you know, to see like, should I carry on this route with this topic? If it's sports law or if it's sports marketing, is it's the football industry, which is really popular. So I've given you my examples, but just for a business listening in, how can they actually win with data? Well, well, let's stick with your example, Ed. So you're already doing an, an awful lot of analysis. So you didn't mention this one particularly, but if, for example, you could identify or you will identify at what point people stop listening. OK, so it's a 30 minute podcast. Are they stopping at minute 12, stopping at minute 18, stopping at minute, etc. So understanding that type of stuff, as you've already mentioned, helps you understand which which podcasts are the most popular, which sentences are the most popular, what content area is the most popular. But when you align that with the people actually listening to them, so your individual, we're going to call them customers, but just for the sake of terminology, your individual customers listening in, then when it comes to the way you um, message or market, you can segment. So for example, if you know that there are this group of customers that only ever listen to the legal commentary, and by the way, they stop at minute 18, then the next time you're getting a legal commentary out, you can firstly send them messages through whichever platforms you're using saying, hey, make sure you listen in because I know you're interested in the law and we've got one heck of a legal one coming up. And by the way, if you listen to the end, you'll also hear bang and you can tell them what's going to appear after the point at which they would normally tip um, switch off. So what you're doing there is you're using the data and insight you've gathered from general behavior applying it to your individual customers that you know because you've got an email address and using that to encourage them to do whatever you have as your objective which in this case is listen right to the end so it's two things it gives you business intelligence to help you make decisions are my podcast too long is the content off topic am i letting them talk about a particular item for far too long without moving them on and then it allows you to apply that insight that you learn to the individual customers that you are then able to engage with. So we use it for two reasons, the deep insight, the business intelligence or the an analytics, and then to apply that learning to the way we get people to do what we want, listen to the end, buy tickets, buy merchandise, support our sponsors, sign up to play a sport, et cetera, et cetera. I know data's moved on. Well, I'm really enjoying this conversation, by the way, but I know data's moved on from 2018 because like, I'm sort of segmenting my email lists and seeing what people want in my audience, but where do you still see mistakes when you talk to people about this topic who, who, who have their own business, just out of interest? 
So I don't like to talk about mistakes because I don't want anyone to feel that they've been doing things wrong or feeling embarrassed about the way they um, approach things. I think um, we talk about things that we would do differently or we would improve. But if we were going to talk about mistakes, the number one mistake that people um, make are viewing the use of data as a technology project, buying a piece of software and the belief that it's the silver bullet, buying a piece of software because a brilliant software salesperson has said, buy this software and you will have a single customer view or be able to use your data or have insights that you can, and this is the number one challenge that we face, and not just we at Winners, but all my um, fellow competitors in our industry. The number one challenge we face is that people think technology is the silver bullet. So that is a mistake, but it's not born out of ignorance. It's born out of the way our industry has developed. You know, CRM data was all about the software 20 years ago. Now we're more sophisticated. We understand it's also about the people and the processes around it. Um, I, I would suggest that um, thinking it's too complicated, being frightened into paralysis, and unfortunately getting bad advice, those are three challenging area for, areas for business leaders. How are you going to know if you're getting the right advice or not? Well, firstly, speak to more than one person. If you're looking for support from a third party, whether that's a consultancy like us or a technology supplier, run a proper RFP process, a proper request for proposal. And, you know, put your vendors through the ringer to make sure that you're getting the right advice from the, the most qualified person to give it. Um, it. It's challenging, it's tough. And then, of course, on top of all of this, we've got data legislation. You know, everybody's heard of the term GDPR, which is relevant for us in the UK, as well as our colleagues in, e in the EU and other EEA territories. We've got to wrap that around it as well. So all of a sudden, you've gone from something that's considered relatively simple, which is, I want to sell tickets to, okay, make sure you've got the right vendor providing you with the right data, that you're storing it correctly, that you're cleansing it and normalizing it, that you're then using it properly. And by the way, don't forget about data legislation. So we don't want to scare people off into paralysis, into the fear of doing anything. We want people to start using data or continue using data at whatever stage they're at. But of course, we need to do it correctly. Firstly, so we're not wasting money, wasting time, wasting you know, other resources. And secondly, so we're doing it on the right side of the law. And finally, so we're getting a return on investment because that's ultimately what we're here for. Return on investment, return on opportunity, return on engagement, whichever terminology you use for your business, you're looking for a return. And finally, with regards to data, and the reason why I said the word mistake, from my experience, when I started my podcast show, I was going with gut. I think my listeners would enjoy this. I think so. My, my question to you is from your experience from your book and also your business experience. How has data helped you and your business make better decisions? So firstly, that's a really, I'm going to go back to the first thing you started with, because that's a really good point. Data replaces gut in a way, because once you've got data, you've got the truth, you've got the, the actual situation but it doesn't replace the entire need for gut. So you've got a skill, Ed, you've got experience, you've got knowledge. So what we do is we take the data as the foundation and then we layer it with our gut, our knowledge, our experience. And by the way, it doesn't always mean we follow what the data tell us, tells us. Sometimes we still follow a different path because there are other reasons that the data isn't aware of, um, but we use that data for a foundation. But onto your second question about how has it helped my business? 
I don't know how to um, describe this other than to say when it comes to winners, we don't do what we say. <laughs> so when we give advice to our clients, we give the best advice in the world. We don't always apply it um, to winners. It's a bit like um, the best hairdresser in the world obviously often has the worst haircut, but it definitely helps our clients. So our role is to go in and to help. For example, if we had started working with you back in the day, we could have just saved you a bit of time by not having to go through that painful learning curve yourself of looking through all your stats and going, oh, shoot, I should have done it a different way. So our role is to come in whatever stage you're at to immediately improve whatever you're doing. So firstly, we're looking for those quick wins, the things that perhaps you haven't looked for, because don't forget, Ed, our job 24-7 is to look at the data. Your job is to put out great content. So our job is to help you understand which of the data points you're generating can help you improve, which data points you're missing that we can easily gather for you. And by the way, how do we help you progress? Because what we also want to be doing is future proofing you. We need to be thinking about the next three to five years, not the next three to five podcasts. So that's the way we approach um, the use of data. However, we don't do it for our own business. Um, we're a little bit, we don't have, um, sales funnels or CRM pyramids or any of the principles that we talk about, we do have, we're very secure in the processes we use with our clients and the processes we use with our clients data. But because we're not, um, we're not a massively aggressive business, we don't, we don't talk about the brands that we work with, we don't promote our clients work on our website, we don't have a traditional sales funnel, we place a lot of energy and focus on ensuring our clients do it correctly. Just for any listeners listening in, they want to hear more. Could you just give a little snapshot of what you do at Winners so they can contact you if they would like to hear more, if that makes sense? Thank you, Ed. Yeah. So when you're a rights owner or an organisation that's operating in the sports field, um, you're going to want to either increase revenue, increase participation, or increase engagement. Generally, your business objectives come between those three. And so our role is to help you understand or help you actually use data to achieve all of those. Now, we break the principles of, of using data into five key areas, strategy, process, technology, the data itself and culture. So for each of those different areas, we have frameworks or processes to help you. Now, that could be something as simple as we're not even sending email campaigns yet. We've got to start emailing our fans to get them to come back and do it again or do it more or do it better to as advanced as um, providing a personalized experience across our multiple channels so that when someone comes to our website and then follows us on Facebook or has downloaded our app, the messaging, the engagement that they see with us picks up from the last digital touch point. We call it customer journeys, making sure that the customer journey across all our digital touch points is the same. And I love this example I heard from a very wise guy at Thunderhead. This is the way he described the importance of a customer journey. And by the way, Ed, feel free to edit this out, but I love it. He says, when you arrange to meet your mate in a coffee shop every Saturday, you sit down with them. You don't go, hello, my name's Fiona. What's your name? How many kids do you have? Where did you go to university? What football team do you support? Every time you go in and meet them on a Saturday afternoon, you say, hey, remember you told me about that film you were going to watch? What did you think about it? By the way, did your kids get the job they were after? Oh, and did you get the point is you pick up on your last conversation with them. And that's exactly where we what we aspire to on our football club website, our event websites. When somebody comes to the website, when somebody um, reads our Facebook post, what we should be doing is continuing the conversation at the last place that we, we stopped with them or they stopped with us. 
And that's the whole purpose of data, to make sure you get the right message to the right person at the right time and indeed on the right platform. Fiona, that's a fantastic example. And say if I'm wrong here, but from my learning experience, I call it touch points. And I've learned it takes seven sort of times to have a true fan. So for my listener, it could be a tweet, then it could be listening to the show, then it could be me engaging them with a comment. Is that the sort of similar example you're saying? Because I love that example. But for me, that's how I've applied it the last four years. I don't just put a podcast and hope somebody listens to it. If people comment, I call that like the person, the coffee shop. It's just uh, keep it going consistently, but not like you're selling. It's just building that relationship. If that makes sense. So, yeah. So, so I don't know about the reference to seven. I've, I've not heard a statistic like that. I mean, what we, we do is we look at the data and see what the data is telling us. But the principle of continuing engagement on the on the, the through the touch point that they want. But of course, we use a combination of push and pull. So somebody proactively coming to your website is very much them coming to you that you haven't directed them. So we use these channels that are out there that enable to push people towards you. So their email campaigns, push message notifications through a mobile app, push message notifications through a website, SMS text messaging, social advertising, all those things where we try and touch people in a push manner to get them to come back to our environment, to get them to engage with them. So yes, that's exactly the same principle. We use another term, which is nurturing. So nurturing people through the different stages of the relationship that they want, that, that, that they have with us to get them to the point where we want. So we use this principle of what we call a pyramid. So at the bottom, Ed, you have very passive customers. Those are the people that, yeah, I've heard what Ed Bowers does. Yeah, I heard Fiona Green was on a podcast. Your next level up, is those digital ones, those that are digitally engaged with you. So they um, have been to your website, but you don't know who they are. They have followed you on Facebook, but we don't know if they just nudged the button by mistake. And in any event, we don't know who they are. And then we have those level of, of people that now they're in your actual environment, you have their details, they're casually engaged with you. In other words, they listen to one in seven, for example, yeah. And then we have the frequent they do the same same thing more frequently and then we have your loyal they do the same thing more loyally and at the very top we have what we call your advocates and your advocates are the people who go around saying you must listen to ed bowers podcast so they almost do your job for you so we've got passive at the bottom so we go passive digital casual frequent loyal advocates and our job or the job of data is to push people up that pyramid continuously by acquiring data analyzing that data and using that data to engage people so we can move them up that pyramid because we all want a huge number of advocates because the more advocates we've got it just stands to reason the more that we'll have as we go further down the pyramid well i hope the listeners are taking notes and thank you so much for sharing that on the calf example um i've got a big smile now because i love how you explained that that pyramid fiona just going back to your career now what have you enjoyed with regards to your sports career journey looking back but particularly the last three to four years i don't need to talk about the passion and enthusiasm and excitement we have for working in the sports industry you're already aware of that i think that thanks to the clients that i have um i've seen some amazing places i've been fortunate enough to travel around an awful lot i think one of the benefits of being a business owner is you get to help people um, you get to help people develop their own careers i'm a massive believer in um, helping people develop and um, helping people to the extent that you're capable 
um, of improving their own environment and their own lives. So that's the one thing, one of the things I enjoy. Of course, that spills over to the way you do your work and the and the ethos you apply in your business, because in helping our team be the best people they can be, we know that they're helping their clients perform in the best possible way they can as well. So that's definitely a highlight. The um, the supportive outlage in enabling me to write a book, because of course they funded it, um, again, has been incredibly humbling and incredibly advantageous because to write the book, I've also had to push myself. I've also had to self-develop because even though I constantly learn anyway, I've had to do specific focused learning because I can't help other people learn unless I have the knowledge myself. And then finally, one thing we, we've done in the last year is we've actually launched an e-learning course, an online course under the same name, Winning With Data. So, for example, those principles we just talked to uh, talked about are in, in the e-learning course. So I've really enjoyed taking the principles and the writings in the book and our approach to helping people understand um, and actually putting that into a digital environment as well to help more people learn. Um, you know, people have asked me in the past, are you not afraid that the more knowledge you share, the less people will need your services? I see it a different way. The more knowledge we share, the more people understand the value of this, the bigger the market and the industry becomes, and therefore my chance of continuing to work in it is also increased. Um, so yeah, a tremendous last few years, driven by the fantastic people we have in our business, the fantastic clients that we work with, who allow us to do our work, who listen to us, challenge us, and demand the best from us, because obviously that's what we want to, de to, to deliver. And the opportunity we've had to support an education in this industry, either from our book and also from our e-learning course, because we really do believe in the power of knowledge share. So do I, and honestly, thank you for that lovely response. And I'm in awe because one, I should have been in contact with you three years ago. Literally, it's only a couple of weeks we reconnected because of your second book. But most importantly, I want to just say thank you for your contribution to the industry. I think what you've just said then, of what you've enjoyed, in my opinion, is where the, the sports industry should be looking at education moving forward. So I just want to say that's inspired me of how you responded to that question. And I feel like we're at a great stage of the interview where I'd like to finish with an inspirational question. And you've provided bags of like tips with regards to data, but particularly now with people who want to just start a career in the sports industry, what three tips would you give to the listener right now? So first of all, um, understand your strengths because the sports industry is so vast and there are many different departments. So do whatever you can do or need to do to understand where your strengths lie so you can go after the type of role you can educate yourself in that particular role so that's definitely one i think that's relevant in any industry or any any area understand your strengths and find a way to play to them the second thing is network 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 i mean will you'll be providing it no doubt my um, contact details our website my linkedin my twitter even my email address use it use it use it use it because you never know when it can de deliver something for you and then the final point is Thanks to the digital world we're in, everybody can be an author. Everybody can write posts, can comment on other people's posts, can contribute to LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, whatever channels you're using. And the more you do that, the more you put your head above the parapet. Don't be afraid of making mistakes. Don't be afraid of saying something wrong. But, you know, give as much thought to it as you can. And so long as you can stand by what you're saying, then you'll be putting your head above the parapet. People will be noticing you. And you never know when that's going to convert into an opportunity. 
So in terms of three, they're my three. If you were to allow me a fourth and a fifth, <laughs> I'd say that if you're interested in data, read our book and take our course. <laughs> hey, I'm happy for that self-promotion. You provided bags in this conversation. Just really quickly, I know you said them quite quickly, but how can people connect with you and winners with regards to online? Well, um, winners is winnersfdd.com as a website. Fiona Green, if you type in Fiona Green plus CRM plus sports, you can generally find me. I'm in LinkedIn under Fiona Green. On Twitter, I'm Fiona Green 66. And um, we've got an Instagram account now as well, which is winning with data. And yeah, I'm, I always accept LinkedIn requests. I love to hear from people. One final thing, and also, if you're interested in um, inviting anybody listening to this podcast to get in touch with you, um, we, can, we can give a couple of books away to people who respond. Happy to do that. So in addition to providing my contacts, your contacts are available. Invite your listeners to pitch in and see if they can get a couple of copies of our book. Winner, winner, chicken dinner. That sounds like a plan <laughs> to me. Uh, Fiona, it's been such a pleasure having you back on the show. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me, Ed. I really do appreciate it. Wow, what a fascinating podcast chat with Fiona. Honestly, it's conversations like this where I just have a big smile and I hope you've enjoyed it. I think that's the first question I ask for you listening in right now because for me, reflecting on that conversation, without a doubt, data is influencing not just the sports industry but business in general. But I hope you've got a better understanding, including myself here, how data is a tool of our decisions, a tool with regards to what is the end result. I think Fiona said it so clearly that, you know, sometimes we use technology as like the shiny object that's going to solve every problem, but actually it's how we use it for the end result we want. And, you know, if you're a business owner or you're in business or you want to work with businesses to help them be more efficient, understanding data is critical. Like I gave you my example, my podcast show, each year I look at my data and figure out through the data of what's popular, what isn't, what do my audience like on my newsletter, what's popular even on my Twitter. Like I try and look at all the data and then make a decision from that instead of when I started out, just use my gut and assuming what people, meaning you guys, want with regards to listening to this show. But from a sports career perspective and taking some tips from Fiona with regards to her journey, I hope you've learned that with regards to Psernica in the sports industry, imposter syndrome, making mistakes, being nervous is normal. I want to put that out there. It is normal. It's just how we internally deal with it and really overcome it with who we are and what we stand for. And without a doubt, Fiona is an expert in the data sector. Like her book is just phenomenal. I can't wait for you to read it if this is an area you want to pursue a career in or have better understanding. But finally, I want to finish off with one career tip, which she is just so spot on. And I'm going back to it again is network, network, network. Like Fiona and I first met about three and a half years ago at a university, Nottingham, Nottingham University, and that's how we first ever connected. I found our work really interesting, and this was before she wrote her first book, and then three years on, she's wrote a second book, and she's really an influencer in this space. So there's two points there. Having and building that network is important, but also relating to her first tip is 
knowing your strengths. And without a doubt, Fiona's strength is in this niche of the sports industry, but it takes time. And I want to finish it on that point. It takes time to graft and showcase your strengths and to establish who you are in the industry. So on that note, and if you've enjoyed this podcast, I would really appreciate if you can subscribe, leave a review uh, on the show, because honestly, it's podcast episodes like this where I'd love to make an impact from an educational standpoint. So thank you for listening and put Fiona's career tips into practice right now and make it happen. Now, as always, at the end of each podcast episode, I'd like to finish with an inspirational quote from my guest speaker. Fiona said, roll up your sleeves and get the work done. Focus on your strengths and network because you never know when that converts into an employment opportunity.